Hi, I'm Dan Cottrell, editor of Rugby Coach Weekly. You're about to jump into one of our podcasts. If you want to find out more about this podcast and also all of the great content, drills, activities, games and advice on the website, then go over to www.rugbycoachweekly.net. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Be the best rugby coach you can be. Welcome to Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast with head coach Dan Cottrell, where you learn hints and tips from the rugby coaching community. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast with me, Dan Cottrell. I am very lucky that I've managed to catch up with Di Reese um, to uh, chat about his experiences in rugby across lots and lots of different platforms. So welcome to the podcast, Di. Thanks, Dan. Lovely to be with you and great to reconnect after so many years of uh, not catching up. Yeah, well, you've um, you've travelled the world a little bit since I think we last talked. Um, so, <laughs> and when I say travelled the world, uh, you're now back in Wales, but you, um, you started out your career, coaching career in Wales and uh, worked with the WRU, with the Sevens programme, uh, one of the key drivers behind getting that up and into the state uh, that was made it competitive. You worked at the Dragons. You uh, went out to Hong Kong and took a quite a major role in setting up and developing rugby in Hong Kong. Not setting up, but developing rugby and rugby coaching in Hong Kong. We're going to touch on that. Came back to the UK quite recently, worked at Seaford College, and now you're back in sunny Wales, uh, <laughs> working with uh, the Dragons and also... Uh, you started up uh, the Red Road Coaching Partnership. So we're going to touch on all those things as we go along. Uh, but just before we came on air, we were talking about a bit about participation in schools rugby and young rugby, young, uh, young players playing more rugby. So just give me a flavour of um, why you're, you're, you seem quite passionate about keeping players in the game. Yeah, Dan, I think I think going back into the school at Seaford College, it really hit home to me. I was working with school boys in, in I guess, what you'd call performance platforms when I was head of rugby and, and head of performance in Hong Kong. Um, what really hit home to me going back into what is my profession, I, I qualified as a teacher and taught for 14 years in my early days, was the difference in the Generation Z. Um, I have three Generation Z kids born um, after 1995. 96 and so born being brought up in the digital age and they are different learners you know I've got frustrated with my kids as they've grown up with a digital age and probably shouldn't have you know they 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 have access to information they they have the most highly intelligent generation of our times because of their access to information and also they're the most distracted um generation and and when I say to you a statistic of our generation Dan had a concentration of six minutes concentration span of six minutes the average concentration of the Gen Z is down to 40 seconds. So for me, going back in and, and being fortunate enough to have, have broadened my horizons before going back into teaching in different, different platforms, I was very conscious that I needed to coach and deliver differently in school. Uh, and the COVID pandemic, the restrictions um, on, um, on playing and contact in a physical confrontation game, um, really helped the process, I believe, and we spoke about this in a number of different forums as, as it, as it uh, unfolded. But the fact that we were had to deliver non-contact rugby challenged the coaches more to come up with non-contact drills, non-contact games, 
And as a result, I remember um, Kevin Rich, actually, was the assistant head of rugby at in Seaford College, saying to me, after term one, it was the most retention that they'd had because it's the, pros- the policy of the school was every boy had to play uh, rugby and engage. Uh, I'm not quite sure whether I agree with that, but I don't agree with it um, uh, because it's a physical confrontation sport. You know, cold winter days in the UK stood freezing when you're not participating. I think there's a question there in terms of retention to be answered. But what it did, a lot of those boys, because we were being innovative, we were playing with frisbees, we were playing with different balls, we were playing with rugby balls, soccer balls. We were creating a situation where uh, they were having fun and, and more kids stayed engaged. Yes, there was some frustration with the older boys and the rugby boys, but well, we also were able to create skill development games in a non-contact sense with a lot of intensity and so there's a lot to be taken from that restriction and period, I believe, um, in the development of schools and the retention of players in schools, in rugby. So uh, coaches who are listening in will probably say, right, great, uh, let's throw in um, some different shaped balls, some frisbees and that sort of thing. So give me some examples of games that you actually played where the kids came away from the game thinking, oh, I've just really enjoyed that. Uh, not just because we use a different ball, but what were the rules and um, the, the, the aims of the game that you were playing? Well, we, what we actually did, or what I did, was with, with, with a team of guys, we had a rotation in terms of two weekly sessions. So we used rugby balls on the one day, so they really associated with um, the true sense of skill development and, and rugby balls, multi-directional. You know, we, we exist in a sport, Dan, that is probably the most restrictive development sport in the world, where you've got the ball carrier, can't see any of his teammates because they're all behind him. You've got to teach a young kid to run forward and pass backwards. And so in terms of spatial awareness, when you develop in the young kid, it's a very restrictive sport if you develop it in the true sense of um, the way we play it and within the rules. So there were lots of um, multi-directional games. So, you know, I'm a firm believer in that we should have basketball and handball and those sports to complement rugby in the early years or even up to 14, 15 years of age. And with the onset of professionalism, I believe we are, we are entering kids into the game too early, really, and, and specialising too early. So we we introduced a day where we would put rotational games. We'd have we changed the size of the size of the um, playing area. So we'd have a what we call a square game, which had four four different size games. As uh, squares, they play in a restricted type one with a rugby ball, and then we'd shout square green square, which was a bigger square. So we were teaching them teaching them spatial awareness. It was always competitive. It was always fun. It was because because kids, boys love that competitiveness. And whether it was a competitiveness in terms of number of passes completed, it wasn't necessarily a score. It was it was a series of catch it, catch pass, and you know, completing ten. That's your that's your one point. They all the scoring systems related to um, to the skill development of the of the particular area. We worked on pillars, so we'd have themes. We'd have a um, a contact area theme. So although we weren't um, actually hitting each other, we'd still have a, if you touch, you drop, you present the ball, you teach technical ability. So we did reduce the skills, what I call Bible skills, which would be, you know, your lot, you present, your, um, your, your, even your tackle technique in terms of touch. We don't do progression. We go from nine years of age to 10 years of age normally, right? Okay, you'd play in touch last year, right? This is how you tackle. But there's a lot of technical stuff like we were we weren't able to tackle, so it was two-handed touch on the shorts. It was leading with the shoulder, so we were coaching within the game, 
um, good technique, but in a touch sense, because we had to, rather than going from non-touch to, to, to tackle with poor technique. So I'm not sure if I've answered the question in terms of rules, but we, we, we very much based on an old traditional games for understanding. They call it skill zones and game zones now. Um, it's games for understanding. So making sure that there was taking away the instructional coaching. Um, and I guess I know it's a cliche and it's a, it's a but games by discovery, discovering space, discovering how to handle and play the game um, through through games. It very little drills, skills, skill zones and the difference being skill zones, again, competitive zones. So yes, passing, but with some defenders in there. So very much because kids like competition, they don't like static drills and repetitive in the game. The game is such a multi-phased, a multi-faceted um, game now that you don't, you, gone is the days of perfect practice makes perfect. In actual fact, messy, messy practice makes perfect in the modern game. So there's a couple of things which jump out at me there. First of all, uh, you mentioned Bible skills. Um, I've got a sense of what that means. What what does why do you use the word Bible? Ah, it's just something myself and Lee Jones now, who's general manager at um, um, uh, Leicester Tigers. We came up with not non-negotiable skills, but the ten skills we believe. This is years ago when we worked together at the Dragons. We came up with you know um, a two v one. So things. Bible being the, the ones you have to believe in, have to have to have in your armory to be able to play a touch game and a, and a, and a, and a physical side of the game. So we built them around 2v1, that's one skill, um, then hit spin. So you literally have a fend and spin out. And we'd have 10 of those. Uh, and, and what we would do in a simple sense is, is introduce those to a group of guys. We'd come back to them and we'd, we'd number them. 10, 10, 1 to 10, and then we we just get them thinking like 1, 1, 2, 2, 3, 3. And so we were able to change the stimulus very, very quickly by introducing each skill and then putting a number on it and, and again, relating it to chaos and relating it to um, to a game pressure situation, changing the stimulus, working in fours and fives to, to talk to each other about the skill, but then transferring that building block from your skill zones, your little grids into actually what we call Bible skills touch where, you know, when you got to a play, you had to indicate a fend and a spin. Um, uh, if you were touched, you had to go to the deck and long present, or you had to go to the deck and, and prone present, and um, you had to go over the top and seal. So we, we then introduced Bible skills touch with, okay, two skills in this, this at this five minutes, we're going to do 2v1, we're looking for 2v1s, and when you hit the deck, it's a 360-year-old, which is now outlawed, um, 360-year-old <laughs> and present. So we've had to change them and evolve them, but that's why they're called Bible skills. We believe they were the core to any kind of performance. What I've done them with seniors, senior international players have done them, and I've, I've done them with nine and ten year olds. So uh, let us uh, just delve into that a little bit more. Uh, you've got a let's uh, say you pick up a uh, you want to work on a Bible skill. How would you um, introduce that to maybe you arrived at Seaford uh, College and uh, it's your first session. You wanted to do uh, Bible skill. What what would be the way that you would put that together into a session to start the process? We'd arrive uh, series, series of grids, simple grids. I don't want to say five by five because that's too big. But there's literally a, a grid, probably um, four by four, four meters by four meters. Series of grids working in groups of five. One defender in the middle, you can introduce a pad 
And literally, that's how we introduced every Bible skill. So that's all, that's all we would have. We would have three, and they'd work back and forth across the grid with the with the a defender rotating in the middle. Um, and basically, that's all it was. Right, guys, two v one. You just got to and you got to start outside the grid, coming into the grid to challenge the defender. Passed to come into the grid. Then you've got to create a two v one, run through the grid, turn around and come back, and repeat. So literally, they are just be one defender, two v one. Let them experiment for three or four, 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 two v ones. Hold it there, guys. Bring a couple of coaching points in, guys. You're not pulling the defender to the edge of the grid. Um, the guy outside isn't isn't you're not talking. You're not you're not you're not staying deep enough off the ball carrier. You're carrying to the defender too early to get the ball going two v one. So we're in coaching on the okay. Go again, four, 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 four wits again. Let's go two v one, two v one. So again, you can sense from my my voice, I'm getting into it now. Mm. I'm creating energy and I'm not allowing them to set. So they literally go through the grid, they turn and come back. They go through the grid, they turn and go back. Constant. Um, I'm keeping the energy levels and pressure on them, changing the defenders. Okay, boys, I want you to remember that. That's skill number one. So part of your six pillars of learning are recall. One of the one is recall. So you should change the stimulus. So then we move on to skill two, which um, which was um, hit, spin, offload. Uh, so they'd literally get touched, go around the you in the same grid, go around the grid, offload behind the defender to the runner. Keep repeating it, guys. Stop it. Introduce it. We probably do that with three most. Okay, guys, got that drill. That's number two. Then we'd introduce a third. It might be a, a footwork into contact, hit the floor. Long present. Um, repeat that. Keep it going. Keep changing the defender. Right, we got three. Okay, guys, listen to what I want you to do. I want you to run six across the grid. You're going to go skill one, one, two, two, three, three. Are you ready? And so all of all of a sudden, now all the boys are talking about, oh, what was skill one? Or oh, was two v one? So straight away you are asking him to recall skill, and literally blow the whistle. And they control, and you can hear them shouting, 2v1, 2v1, hit the deck, hit the deck, and, and you stop it. And then you might, okay, well done, fellas, that's great. Change the defender. Are you listening? Are you listening? Okay, what I want, one, two, three, three, two, one, one, two, three. Are we all ready? Ready, go. So we're introducing the skills in an intense, enjoyable, fun way. There's a bit of competition because they're competing with each other to remember the skill, and it's part of a learning pillar, the pillars of learning. So changing the stimulus. And then we progress that. Probably most I do with any any group under year 11 would be three in a session. We transfer those skills then into a game of potential five on five or six on six or even 10 on 10 where you're looking for two V1s and you reward it as a coach, but you'd have the contact area being the long present, et cetera, et cetera. So um, you can progress from that situation then into game, small-sided games, and eventually into stuff like Fiji Touch um, and, and, and Grab Touch. Right, so Fiji Touch being, it, I mean, there are three or four, Fiji Touch covers three or four different versions. So what's your Fiji Touch? So, I, again, building blocks for me. Um, it, Bible Skills Touch is literally one hand producer skill. Mm. Um, Having coached many different teams against Fiji and been in Fiji, Fiji touch mm. for me is a little bit, it's not touch. So then we have 
we have the two-handed touch. Fiji touch is then basically grab, check, touch. So, you know, when you play against Fiji on the circuit, um, it's just under a contact game. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's so the one you, I was thinking you were going to say. Yeah, it's a Fiji rugby so it, touch with an inverted colours. Yeah, in so a, what a, we were able to do within the, i got to say this on, on, on the podcast, within the rules of the RSU's uh, yeah. restrictions, we were able to lift it to a situation where you know, I would try and get boys to step across the line of the runner, no mm. holding, no grabbing, but actually the, lifting the level of the contact when we weren't able to tackle to a level where you're in a good position and you would be slowing down the contact area um, or slowing down the, the ball carrier with a check, with a grab of the shirt, with a with a picking up a good position in his line of running. Yeah, You'll never be allowed across the border again. It's uh, now, you, now you've said that. No, so uh, right, we've got the we've got the Bible the Bible schools, and I, I love that idea of uh, number one, number two, number three, etc. So uh, you'd have those. Now let's just take that back a stage. Now you've got players who aren't necessarily so good at passing. Uh, one of the things that we've noticed in some of the teams we've been working with is that some of the guys who are under 14s uh, now have clearly missed out on some rugby because of the pandemic and their their skills are not as high as one would expect with their with players who are whose skill levels are not so good who would ne not necessarily be able to do that the simple tool one because their passing is not good enough how would you help them how would you support them it's almost a continuum you know i work on a transactional to transformational type of coaching and, and also development so transactional mm -hmm. being very instructing, very uh, the way we were coached, really the way I was coached growing up. You will pass like this. You, you, mm -hmm. This is a grid. This is a this is a drill. Very static, boring. You know, pass it along four, turn around, pass it, coming back. The game still has to be coached in terms of the learning cycle and the transformation of, of a player. From so, I'm not saying for one minute you don't you don't use drills mm -hmm. uh, and almost the Bible skills. Um, pockets were used to assess particularly when I was new the ability of each group and then using a rotational kind of skill um, skill carousel we would then pull in what, what I guess or in all, in all terms you'd call the drills so the passing technique I think it's, it's very important though to keep changing the stimulus so we would have we would we'd change the stimulus as I said with, with rugby passing skills with different balls I think one of the elements with the younger kids is the size of the ball as well, the surface on the ball. Uh, and believe it or not, with the younger kids, they're frightened of the ball. Some of them have been played. So we use sponge balls. They, 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 they actually put their hands up and they're protecting themselves. And there's not a great deal of empathy with the younger boys, uh, particularly the, the, the good players, to actually put in a nice soft pass. So, you know, there's, there's a variety of ways in which to introduce it. But I definitely, if you are working with, 14 year olds I think it's it's what we call um I guess it's pushing the edge but it's it's also um it's also ensuring that each group is being rewarded so while while I'm going to say a dirty word in terms of streaming I think it's important at the younger ages to make sure that players when they are learning the game are put in similar ability groups and why I say that is because um you will progress different players at different levels. So if you've got a, a player that's 
potentially going to go on and wants to be first choice in with a kid that's just learning and will end up being a community, then they neither are achieving. So probably either the better player is is not working at the edge in the top of where he should be working. So he's not having a 70-30 um, uh, sort of failure rate. So you can't push him to that edge where he needs to be failing to understand and progress. And likewise, the other kids who are less able could be achieving about 20% success. And as a result of both, we lose players from the game or we lose interest. And then that's when you start to get indisciplined in the session. So I think it's, it, you do have to go to drill-orientated kind of um, uh, um, uh, uh, sessions, but it has to be, it still has to be fun. There still has to be learning early on in a drill. But then for me, chaos and them dropping balls in, in a game sense, in a game situation is okay um, as long as they're having fun and they leave the session with fun. Um, and I, I don't think, sometimes I think coaches are not comfortable in that area. If they haven't had um, 80 to 90% success or non-drop passes or good tackles, they feel as though they fail as coaches. I judge myself on whether the kids are, are leaving a session with a bit of a buzz, they're smiling, and they want to come back for the next session. Um, if I'm not achieving that, and they think, you know, Chris, I'm going to that session, we pass for 15 minutes. So that's my that's my judgment call, and it was with all the young coaches that I had uh, coming into into Seaford that I was lucky enough to work with. Uh, you mentioned the learning cycle. Uh, what what is your understanding of what the learning cycle is? The learning cycle being things like I would have to get my notes out now, but you know, um, what what were you talking about? The one I the, the six pillars of learning, and, and what what I did with a, a great guy that I worked with in in Hong Kong. Um, Jordan Cassidy, who's now doing his PGCE, um, we we looked at the learning cycles in sense of being in the classroom, and then we we tried to um, relate those six learning pillars to um, where where the game of rugby is played. One excellent one is change of stimulus in terms of um, um, sorry, change of stimulus, but one pillar is recall. So if you don't present recall in a session, um, then one of the learning pillars, they suggest you don't learn. So how many times have, you, have I set up a, a session where I've gone, right, we're doing attack today because that's what we need to focus on. So we go a sequence of attacking plays or, you know, skill drills into then team run or whatever. And that's all we've dealt with is attack. The way in which we've changed that and also the stimulus for the Gen Z kids, so the learning pillars is a change of stimulus as well. One of them is to actually coach a variety of different areas of the game in an hour and a half session. So you might start off with attacking plays, attacking skills, and it'd be a block of 15 minutes, all orientated towards catch pass maybe in contact area. And you'd emphasize that and we drift into a game then where we were looking at those skills 15, 20 minutes after the warm up. We then switch to defensive pattern drills. It might be line push, it might be tackle, but we drop the um, the sequence of drills and skills and games for attack and move to a block of, of defensive drills and defensive skills. And then without announcement, we would move straight back to the original drills with, with less instruction. Okay, guys, we're going back to drill one that we did half hour ago. And then encourage the coaches not to give too much instruction. Now, that's a, that's a, that's a task in itself. 
Mm. Um, so, and of course, then you get recall. So the players go, oh, crikey, what was our drill? Now, the, the, the tendency is for a coach to then step in because they chaos and they can't get themselves organised. You've got to try, try and stay <laughs> off it. Yeah. So they then recall the drills and skills with, with input. But the concept there is they, they now have to recall and they will learn and they will, they will remember and it will be cemented. And then we do the, could do a, a lesser session, 10 minutes of our original drill then, but we jump back into the, the drills that we did on defence. So that's a, that's a case of recall, changing stimulus, particularly with the Gen, Gen Z kids and affirmation. And then we'd repeat that over a cycle of six weeks. Um, you know, we might even, with the better groups, we'd leave a week and then we'd say, well, we were naming, we were naming drills and skills. So we we call a particular maybe attacking drill, um, whatever, Roberts or Joneses. And then we just next session say, right, we're going to do Joneses drill now. And that's it. Say nothing more. And listen to the talk and the, and, and, and the delivery from the players. Right, boys, boys, it was that one. It was the 4v1. Quick, come on, let's get going. So again, but it takes a lot of confidence and, and, and it takes a lot of, um, I guess, patience, particularly with the younger school groups. You can do it probably below, below year nine. It needs to be more instructional. But you, you should be, the evidence should be there as you progress up through the school years or through your, through your age groups at club. You, you can see the evidence of it. And almost as coaches, we should be speaking less and instructing less the older that the, the kid gets. And the feedback is a different different feedback model. Uh, so if we sort of now look at uh, your role at the Dragons, so you're, you're head of academy there. Um, is that what a Dragons session will look like? Or is that does that have to be different because of the different requirements that you've got to have of the players so so first uh, it's privileged to be back with the dragons they they invested heavily when i arrived back um at the same time they employed another five five coaches stroke uh, support staff we we know probably the um most resourced regional academy um after being the the, the worst Hmm. Um, unfortunate to have people like Sean Connor, who's a very experienced international yeah. coach and has worked with all age groups. He's within Wales 20s now, he's just come back from Russia. I taught Sean at Kroski's College many years ago, so I'm like a grandfather. And then I got <laughs> young, young, young aspiring um, coaches. So, so it's a lovely environment to be managing. I deliberately I don't coach. So I'm a firm believer my role now is, is a leader, is a mentor and to bring on those younger coaches. My, my role isn't to go out on the field. What do I do? Yes, I stand next to a kid, um, and I might say, you need to be in this line, but I, I stay away from the coaching. I'm actually looking after thoughts, challenging the coaches on captaincy, on structures. Fortunately for me, um, James Chaperone, who is now general manager at the Dragons, but as well, was academy manager before me, he's developed a fantastic platform of the Dragon's Way um, in, in age groups. And so, because the, <laughs> there's a lesson to be learned here, I think, across Wales. Um, James has been developing that for 10 years in various roles. So he's had consistency. So we've got the Dragon's Way at, age, we've got the Dragon's Way at age group, at our regional age group, under 18s and regional age group. Um, uh, under 16s, we've got the Dragon's Way, the Dragon's Coaching Way. And so, 
the platform's got consistency. You know, people listening to this podcast, oh, that's rubbish, day. We, we, you're losing every game at senior level. But, you know, we played exceptionally well the other night and we beat the Ospreys under 18s, you know, 42-14. We don't use those as an indication of, of, of performance, but the way in which we played the game was the Dragons' way. Lots of wit, lots of risk, quite a few mistakes because we were, we were running from deep. So we give them principles of play um, through the coaching platform. So it would be very, very similar to the stuff I've described. So carousels, contact area. So we'll, we'll come in, we'll do a warm-up involving different skill development carousels, then building the game to set piece, and then obviously um, building the game into the game structure. We go in with very little structure other than principles of play. Um, so we, we encourage the players. They can... They can we, we believe, and, and as, as James would, would say, we believe that there's lots of coaching to be done with them when they become senior regional players. So all, all the instruction, all the plays, all the technical stuff, they're bombarded at 20. So what we are doing is giving them the autonomy to make their own decisions and play with principles rather than structure um, so that when they get to uh, 18, 19, their heads are not full of or red. I, I, I know a red, a yellow, a, a north, a south, um, or all that. That was what we called back in um, back in the eighteens. We used to call that so and so. Does that make sense? So, and I can hear it now as I as I coached age group rugby for for eight years, nine years in Wales. You know, you, you'd have a, you'd have an international team together, and they'd all be well. That's what we call this in this club, and I, so I can honestly say I can honestly say we got about three plays to get us over the game line, four plays from scrum and line out, and then it's principles of play. Of where, what area of the game you're covering. It's a pleasure to watch. It's a pleasure to stand back as an experienced coach and not have to coach and watch um, Sean, Jack, C- C- uh, Caddy, people like Matt O'Brien, young coaches um, coaching that way. And, and then it's more even rewarding to them. They go into a game and they produce a performance which wins the game. But it, was, it wasn't about that. It was, you know, we, we were 14 7 up. And running from our own line, and it looked as if it was going to go either way, but we kept doing what we believed in. So it was a performance rather than a result. So, um, yeah, it's it's a pleasure to be sitting outside it, mentoring. Um, I think they've struggled with it. I think they've struggled. It's an unusual role for a academy manager to be playing in Wales. They're normally normally doing a lot of coaching, um, and perhaps coaching a Premiership club. But my firm direction was to say, no, stay away from the hands-on and try and develop the young men, the players off the field with their university and colleges, and then obviously to develop the, te- the team and giving responsibilities and ownership to the, to the lead coaches in each of those areas. I'm sure, I'm sure that that's been quite hard and sometimes when you've been desperate to step in, but uh, that's, uh, that sounds very powerful. I'm going to pick up on a couple of things. I mean, I, one of the things uh, that uh, results, uh, certainly at the senior level, uh, don't, don't really, shouldn't really reflect anything on the academy because we know it's down to quite a lot down to interest, but it's often down to money. Uh, if you can buy in a few big big names, sometimes mm. that just it does make a difference. And that's I know that's a very that's a broad brush on why teams are successful because there's lots of reasons, but you, money does does make a difference right at the top. But the academy shouldn't. Be a reflection of the senior teams uh, in that sense, because as you say, the the kids are coming through with d- 
different ideas and different strengths. So a couple of things I want to just ask about. You talk about the principles of play a lot. What, uh, unless they are top secret, what are the dragon's principles of play? Are they what we would think as uh, game possession, go forward support, or are they uh, the more specific? Yeah, two, two, two are the principles of play. We, we give them shape, for instance. So I, I did this coming back into the game. It's interesting. I, I don't know whether your, your listeners now would, would relate to a 1 3 3 1. Mm. So the 1 3 3 1 is once, once, the game, once the game is up and running from a set piece, we're asking it doesn't matter which forward we want in general our flankers out in the wide, 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 wide space and then it's a 3-3 three, three split working the two middle, midfield channels to allow us to play. So it isn't a case of they're in pods. It's just they are, they are seeking and changing roles. So principle of play, we, we try to keep a 1-3-3-1 one, three, three, one formation. And you hear people talking about 2-2-2 two, 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 in all sorts. But, but that's basically what we want, where we want the forwards to align themselves so they've got a reference point and we play. And then one principle of play was we must get over the gain line from first playing set piece, whether that's out wide, whether it's up the middle, and, and then we teach them principles of building the game. You know, can we go wide in the first 20 minutes or should we be having a look to play what's up the middle, pull people in, set people up? Is that, am I making sense? So yeah, yeah. So, so uh, I mean, uh, let, let's, let's go, uh, first of all, the one three three one. So the idea there uh, is that the forwards have a um, better awareness of support. So they don't all bunch around the ball. Uh, they don't, don't all suddenly um, uh, stand outside the number 10 from a ruck. They, they, uh, they look up, they see where their teammates are and they, they reposition themselves. So it allows you to play a game where if you want to play with width, you can play with width. And if you want to play a little bit tighter for whatever reason, then you can do that. So that's that one. Uh, but there's a principle is uh, of in attack is that you've got to find ways to get over the game line and then you know, the autonomy is to the players how do you do that or do you give them a little we bit give them, more we give them we 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 give them or they find a couple of strike plays you know yeah. as i said we it's not that we don't you, you start a play strike plays whatever yeah. anybody wants to call them yeah there's a playoff off um perhaps two from the left, two from the right, from scrum, from line out. And that's how we start to play. And then, then, then we play. We then coach skills. We then coach skills in terms of, you know, the, the things you see in the game. Now, if, if those two, if those, the two, three pods find themselves on, on a slower stack, so it's understanding momentum. Mm. So if, if, if a slow ruck occurs in, the, in between the 15s and there's, the, there's, the, there's, the, there's the, one of the three, three groups of players, they move up to the gain line. They mm-hmm. then they then push it. They do a shift ball. So there's skills then within our skill our skill zones. There's skills then where forwards are taught to, to take and give and push someone or pull it back to the mm-hmm. nine. So we're obviously coaching skills related mm-hmm. to the way in which we want to play, but they very much relate to the momentum of the game. So, so you we ha- might help you. Co- yeah, sorry. I, I'm just the key there is that the players are. Being uh, helping them to recognise what's going on on the pitch, so they're not just standing there randomly saying, "Right, we're going to go wide," with absolutely nobody standing wide, or they're there saying, "Right, at this stage, uh, I recognise that this ball, the momentum slowed down, so instead of standing, say, um, closer to the ten, 
the, the, the fly half, I'm going to step up with my teammates and we're going to do this because they recognize what's going on. And that's that's how you're helping them to think uh, yeah. about the, the style of the game. So before, that's spot on. So before we even got out on the park with our regional age grid uh, squad, um, when we came together about six weeks ago, Sean, Sean, Sean gave them a definition and an understanding of a momentum and showed them what, what it meant. Mm. So he showed them videos of good momentum, getting over the game line, what it creates, how it frees the ball up, how we can then play probably short, wide, stay on the game line. And then what happens when a lineup's collapsed or a mall's collapsed and the ball comes and how it changes the game. So before we even got on the park, we were giving them the principle of momentum and an understanding. And then we go out and we create situations where I've worked with one system in the past where we've created it. We create a, a dead ball between one and three. We create a medium ball, which we can play off between. But that's being too, that was how we developed it 15, 20 years ago. But that's very instructional. No, it's a definition, and then feel it. Mm, um, feel it. And with, feel it. I like feel that. it. F feel the momentum. F feel yeah. the momentum of the game. Where is it going? And it's, as, as you evolve, if you've got a feel, and this is the principle of it all, if you've got a feel for the game and you understand momentum, you understand how to get over the game line and where you should be on the field, by the time you get to 18, 19, 20, then senior coaches are probably then bombarding you with plays, um, structures, um, hopefully not too much because I think the game is I'm going to watch the Premiership now, uh, Dan and we, and the game has evolved to a, a multifaceted, flipping high skill level with it, all 15 men being able to handle the ball, with props being being able to ball, ball carry um, into. Um, so you got you got your dogs coming to give us an answer too. Bear, bear with me a minute. <laughs> It's okay. All right. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> Horseman at the door. All right. He's being, he's being dismissed. <laughs> okay. So uh, let's, let's just talk another thing you talked about the, the, the coaching way. So obviously you've, um, I mean, I've spoken to Sean before. He is brilliant. He's so exciting to talk to. Uh, he loves the game. I, I love watching him play when he used to play for the Ospreys. And I particularly remember the time he, uh, he was 10 when the Ospreys beat Australia. It was a fantastic game. And, uh, probably uh, one of the best performances uh, by the Ospreys mm. at the time. But you, you talked about coaching way. So what, what does that look like? What is it uh, when you go onto the field? Uh, what, what are we seeing from the, uh, the coaches? Um, High-paced coaching, um, uh, meaning uh, coaching, coaching on the move. So reducing, reducing, um, Verbal diarrhea, as we call it, <laughs> and pulling the players in for two minutes to discuss a particular play. Uh, coaching through mistakes. So how often do you see, Dan, uh, you might be doing a team run. There's a knock on. Everyone stops, resets. We don't do that. We, we coach. We coach through mistakes. We coach because that's the game. Um, so, But the big one is coaching with pace and on, on the run then, for want of a better word. So we will literally move from line out to line out to, to scrum and the, the coaches are coaching in the game so they're not stopping to give an instruction of a poor decision or rewarding uh, a good play they're coaching it as they are moving to the line of jogging alongside and feeding back with, within the session so we're keeping we coach at speed and, and so 
for six weeks, we believed, passionately believed when we went into this game on Wednesday, if we coached above the speed of the game, that the game would be easier for us. And that in the last 20 minutes, um, teams would hopefully run out of steam against this. And we had to have faith when it was seven or we had to have faith when it was 14-7, keep playing from deep uh, with pace. And, and so the coaching has to reflect that. So transition between, at the beginning, your skill grids. So transition between each grid. Um, so the best principle I can give you that we are, we're really passionate about is very little talk and, and uh, sorry, static talk. But actually talking as we as we transition between drills, drills, skills, and and also feeding back um, uh, when when the games are resetting. So I, I mean I love that vision and it sounds fantastic. I've got a coach, let's say, uh, coming into the program. How do I get them up to speed? Because not every coach operates that way, and many of us probably do like to sit down and talk and chat with the players, and we probably all had to bite our tongues more and more as time goes on and we learn more. So how do you help uh, a coach, develop a coach in that way? Full circle in terms of mentoring. Um, the mentoring, mentoring isn't particularly good in the sport in Wales, I'll say that, you know. So young, young coaches coming into the game um, do their qualifications. I'm not sure how much really good uh, mentoring is done on a regular basis. Rugby coaches and teachers, I'm an ex-teacher, don't take criticism particularly well. And I mean constructive criticism or constructive feedback. So there's a negative. And I think the only way you can do it, Dan, is actually to have an open and honest and transparent uh, circle of trust. And when, when the coaches come in, they know that they are going to get um, honest and open feedback. And we, we do... Um, present to all our national, all our regional age grade um, coaches. We do an evening a presentation on the way in which we uh, we want them to coach, the way in which we believe. Uh, and again, James has produced that over the years, and we have fine tweaking it as we did last night with a group of under sixteen boys. We showed them the way we play, unstructured and principled. So we 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 give them um, what we what we want, and then we we work through it and give regular feedback. I will say as well, because, um, you know, the region is relatively small, the, the, the guys that are brought through into the system um, are picked on their ability. Some of them now are coming into our under-16s that will be men that are current players from within the Dragon Senior Group who aspire to be coaches. Um, and so we are mentoring those into a space and hopefully then in a couple of years they will step into our under-18s. So there's a, there's a logical process. We don't just drop someone in from you know one of the districts or one of the schools and say right coach this way we've we've worked with them um through a process it doesn't mean we get it right every time um and it, it does take a lot of honesty and openness from the coach and, and that is for me in any culture and that's why i'm enjoying the role of the the academy head and not coaching i'm enjoying looking at coaches and it's just nice now that some after eight months of being at some of the, the younger coaches who weren't sure, but I did, they wouldn't have a clue who I was. Um, mm. And now opening up and said, Dad, can you give me feedback on my presentation or can you give me feedback on that, on that drill? I haven't gone to them um, uh, and forced myself on my opinion on them, which I would have years ago um, when I was younger. Um, I've taken my time, I've learned over the years is, is, is to gain their trust. And then um, 
it's been great. Some of the younger coaches have actually come to me over the last couple of weeks and we've, we've spoke about different sessions. So I wonder about the Generation Z coaches who are starting to come through. Um, are they more able or less able to take um, we, tough we haven't, we, no, we haven't got any genera- Generation Z coaches yet at, at the performance end of the game and it's mm. a concern. And like I did in my early career, I... I, I I modelled uh, behaviours of coaches that, that I'd been coached by or teachers that I'd had. I was fortunate enough to have, a, at the time now I look back, some transformational kind of PE teachers and coaches that were, were working hard. Um, um, but still, there's a lot of transactional coaches in structure, and particularly in, in, in community clubs. And, and, and it's, again, it's not a criticism in any way, it's just the way in which it's evolved. So my big uh, passion at the moment is... I learned about it in Seaford, where um, it's very trans- transactional and very instructional. Um, you've got to model those behaviours, um, not not just in the coaching sense, but in the way in which you talk to kids. Uh, they 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 are not a generation that take to actually giving them an absolute rocket and 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 shaming them. That they, they are not that kind of kid. Um, yes, there's a there's a time for when they've got to be pulled up and instructed, but there's, for me, there's a way to do it. It isn't. You know, I, I talked to Sean about this when I came in. They they thought I was mad. You know, this this guy from Abakan, the Valleys had come back and what's happened to him in Hong Kong over the last twelve <laughs> years. Um, because I admit that I was on send and I, I you know I, I I questioned my own self awareness and um, I said I interviewed um, 18, 18 of the boys on the first assessment now academy, and they come in and we asked them to present on their vision and what they what they thought. Um, were the key areas of their development. Every single one of them, Dan, presented six or seven things that they weren't good at. So I'd let them start, and I'd say, right, okay, now, hang on, I've just, come, I've just started at this academy. I don't know you. Tell me why, when, why you should be in this academy, and two, what you're good at. And without, without exception, none of them could articulate what they were good at. Now, again, that's a Welsh cultural thing. I was I'm laughing when I say this. Sean said, yeah, Di's right. I can tell you exactly the 15 things I was exceptionally poor at or, or, or the, the, the coaches thought I was rubbish at or the crowd thought I was rubbish at. Ask me what I was good at. I can't tell Di. And I'm well, 43. And, I, I, and it was embedded in Sean. And he said, I just don't know what I was good at. He does, of course, when we sit down. But literally, if you, if you wanted to ask him about his rugby career, He'd tell, you, he'd tell you exactly what he was poor at. Mm. And I'm trying to reverse that in terms of the term um, uh, success leads news. Um, I got that from Damien Hughes on a podcast they did and, and myself, the question was, how can you change your culture? What's the one thing you recommend? And he would try and just reverse a negative type of culture or a oppressive culture into just success leads news. Boys. So anything you say to the kid, the first things you say is what we've, what we've been successful at. This session, this game, um, what we've been successful in this week, and then, okay, well, what can we improve on? What are we, and again, it sounds a bit cliched, but if if you can get a group of coaches to actually reflect on what we did well, difficult when you're losing like the Senior Dragons team, I know, and people look and go, that's rubbish, die. Um, but if you can if you can get that culture, um, particularly in the younger age group, I think, I think it's massively important. Uh, which is, um... 
is probably the mantra that we probably need to uh, think about more and it's a it's a good mantra to sort of finish off on in terms of the coaching so um it says uh i recognize that in january 2022 you started up the red road coaching partnership so uh tell us a bit more about that because that's uh, that's exciting to start uh the new year with so what what's what's it all about what's happening yeah and and, and it's quite interesting i i I've been working on this about three years ago, four years ago. I started working with uh, Craig White, who uh, will be known to uh, to a lot of you. I knew Craig as this gnarly boy from Wigan, rugby league, came down to Wales, um, and had a huge impact after working with Gatland in 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 in, in sense of wasps and and also working with the British Lions, and um, power driven, uh, and he discovered, you know gave it up literally six months before a world cup and went off on his journey and we reconnected um and it's interesting yeah the red road coaching the red road is is from the Lakota indian driver the red road is a small winding road that is tough to stay on if you want to be a true in the true essence of developing as an individual as a man you know things will pull the black road is wide and 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 easy to stay on the red road is is about living a good life being a good person um working hard on yourself being very self-aware so that's where the the, the inspiration for the, the company came from the difficulty i have of course is coaching in it and I, I i sort of question putting that in because it's actually nothing to do with rugby coaching it's actually mm-hmm. all to do with well-being breath work i'm qualified in breath work craig inspired me in that space uh, one-to-one mentoring um uh, you know people say well will you be a mentor um you were you mentor like i can't say i was truly truly mentored till craig i got, got involved with craig and i asked him to mentor me for six months in this true sense of he look at my vision what, what my purpose was uh, and and so i started to learn how to mentor people um and so the the red road coaching is about really one-to-one mentoring um breath work well-being through breathwork, coaching people into good spaces. And, and of course, the, the big link there is I, I'm qualified in performance lifestyle as well through UK sport. So, you know, the things that the RPA provide through Gainline in, 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 in England, they're sort of off-field. Um, you know, I'm doing a lot of one-to-ones with our younger boys at the moment. Um, we've got some bereavement uh, and some sadness. we got some anxiety. So trying to make them uh, and, and cope, to be able to cope with, with life alongside rugby and ensuring that we used to call it in Hong Kong the learn or earn um, you've got the rugby but you've got to be learning or earning so as well as the rugby when you're learning it could be a short course it could be at the university um, or you're earning you're going out and doing an internship or you've got a bit of a part-time job going on so we call it out there every one of our athletes in their contract in Hong Kong would have a learn or earn part and that'd be monitored by the performance lifestyle so that that's really what the Red Road Coaching Company aims to do. My wife's a part of it. And um, yeah, it's a part-time thing at the moment in terms of engaging and did breath work for a large um, corporate on on uh, on Wednesday, you know, for an hour for their staff. And they found it high, high, highly strong sales executives um, and and just did a, an hour's breath work, uh, hour and a half breath workshop. And it's fabulous, the impact. Um, I've been blown away actually by how few people understand um, the impact of breathwork, including full-time athletes. 
Right, so uh, I'll put a link at the bottom of the the podcast to that. But uh, I'm, I'm assuming that everyone, if they're interested, can get straight in contact with you. What's the best way to get hold of you? Well, if you go onto the, the website, all the contact numbers are on there. I'm on LinkedIn as Diaries, and it references mm-hmm. the Red Road Coaching. Um, uh, I've worked, it was interesting earlier, while I was at, I developed this over a period, I launched it for the website. I've been working with these kind of platforms. I did some work with St Albans Boys School in, 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 um, uh, in just outside London. I uh, did some breathwork with their staff. They introduced it to the children. So I've been, I've been doing various workshops and work with different people, which is referenced, but really through the website, um, if anyone's interested in, in, in those areas and it's detailed on the website, what, what, what we are offering really. I think the key, one of the key things which has come across, is not just for stressed out sales executives, it's for everybody. We could all mm. uh, we could all benefit from that. Well, Di, I mean, uh, I sent you uh, six questions, and I'd never asked any of those six questions before we <laughs> before we started. Uh, but it's been brilliant to delve into uh, all the things that we talked about, and from my point of view, uh, lots of practical ideas as well as just thinking more widely about the game. So, it has been great to connect again. So, thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Dan. It's, it's, it, 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 the questions have been fab. It, I always love these kind of engagement. It, it, it re-engages me to think a bit deeper about what I am doing, what I have done. Um, so they, they, they're challenging. You know, as I said, I, I need a more mentoring now when I'm seeing and feeding back. So to dig up those old memories of the, of the Bible <laughs> skills and how I... I thought I was in a, I thought I was in a job interview at one point. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we'll uh, we'll we'll call you. We'll call you. <laughs> Di, thanks lovely very re- much. Yeah, lovely to reconnect. Thanks, Dan, for the opportunity. No, that's great. Cheers, Di. Well, I will. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, delving into some more stuff with you uh, again soon. I hope. Um, thanks very much, for everyone, for listening. This is a Rugby Coach Weekly podcast. If you want to find out more about Rugby Coach Weekly and the podcast, go to rugbycoachweekly.net and click on the podcast button. Uh, Thanks all for listening and speak to you all very soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast. If you want to hear more podcasts, head over to rugbycoachweekly.net and click on the blogs tab to catch up on any episodes you've missed. We look forward to speaking to you again soon with more insights from coaches and experts from the world of rugby, sport, and learning.